0: morning. greet you too in Jesus' name and I welcome you to our service here this morning. It's good to have you out on this beautiful Lord's Day morning and uh, I told the family this morning this will probably be one of the nicest day's summer services. Maybe I'll be wrong. i take a take a few of these, a few more, but beautiful day. All right, so uh, those of you that attend here regularly will know that the last while I have been working through um, what we, um, as a Mennonite group, call the seven ordinances. This morning I would like to look at another one of those ordinances. Um, There is no particular order of these, and I just randomly picked one this morning. And that is what we call the Holy kiss. And Again, I want to say this morning that um, um, how do I want to say this? In some ways, I think there was a bit of a disservice, uh, and I say this very, very carefully. As I told you a few months ago, prior to uh, our dear brother Daniel Kaufman, the uh, the Mennonite Church did not have seven ordinances per se. That that was that was somewhat his invention and i i think the, the 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 man meant well and i and i don't dispute it and i don't take real issue with it but if there's one thing that i think happens inadvertently because of this is that we tend to elevate seven things and downplay maybe 12 others we ought to elevate just as to just as high a level that that's my fear that that there's maybe a, a a part of this that puts an elevation to these things that um, to the detriment of others. But anyway, we'll leave that. Um, it is what it is, and, and we're going to look at this particular in um, this particular command in the Bible. This uh, this terminology we use as the holy kiss. I, I would assume that I'm speaking to an audience that knows what I'm what I'm talking about if you uh if you have been raised in a in a setting with um uh Mennonite Anabaptist background anyway, you are familiar with this. If you are not, you've probably been around uh here, I think all of you have been, as I glance over my audience, I don't see any visitors that um, uh I-, I believe wouldn't have a concept of what I'm talking about here, so I won't go into that um, per se. But there is probably a variety of um, of experience as, uh, as, um, as we have grown up or whatever as to how this was practiced and whatever, whatever your experience might be with that. In our statement of faith, our, our, um, our statement on this particular ordinance reads like this. The holy kiss is an appropriate biblical expression of fervent charity Which exists between believers. It shall be practiced, brethren among brethren and sisters among sisters, according to the scriptures as prompted by the Spirit of Love. And so what I'd like to do this morning is is um look at this particular ordinance. What did it mean culturally to the to the New Testament church? Um what was the context in what this in which this command was given? Is it meant for us today, and how, when, and where should it be practiced or not practiced? Okay, so that's kind of what I'd like to explore a bit this morning. I know it is of no surprise to you that um, in the Bible era, uh, you, you go back even 6,000 years to the very beginnings of time, and culturally, a, a kiss was a very acceptable form of greeting. Um, I'm going to bump through some examples here real quick. I'm not going to turn to these, but but I just want to refresh your memory. Um, Jacob, it says in Genesis 27, kissed his father. Esau kissed Jacob in Genesis 33. Joseph kissed his brothers in Genesis 45 when they came down to Egypt there. Jacob, before he passed away, kissed the sons of Joseph. Aaron kissed Moses when he went to meet him in that wilderness uh, when Moses was returning home to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses, when he met up with his father-in-law after some years of separation, in Exodus 18, it says he kissed him. David and Jonathan, in 1 Samuel 20, it mentions that they kissed one another as in a spirit of love. In Luke 15, we have the uh, prodigal son returning home, and it says the father kissed him. In uh, in Acts 20, when the elders of Miletus knew that this would be the last time they would see their beloved apostle and brother Paul, they kissed him, it says. And then we probably have the most famous or infamous kiss of all, and that is the kiss of Judas, and um, that one was, um, because of what the kiss symbolized, the... Um, the hypocrisy and the backstabbing of that particular kiss can hardly be underestimated. It's also interesting that in Luke 7, when Jesus came to the home of the Pharisee there, and, and, the, and he's having a meal there with the Pharisee, and uh, the, the woman comes in and anoints Jesus' feet there, and it, and it seems like the Pharisee had a bit of a problem with that. And Jesus said, Simon, when I came into your house, you gave me no kiss. In other words, Simon, you overlooked something that would have been definitely proper for you, and that is to give me a kiss. So, interesting that we have those, those cultural references. And so we come to these unique one-sentence, generally, verses. At the very end of about five epistles, that um, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter point us to a uh, something that they call a holy kiss. I would say this, as we think of it, it was indeed something that was culturally understood, okay, in those times. So the fact that that Paul and Peter both point to the church and say, you exercise this thing called a holy kiss, indicates that it's something beyond the cultural kiss, okay? It's something more than that. So I would like to go into this into this topic and explore this this um, this topic from several different angles. So how or or, or uh, a question that could be raised is: Was the holy kiss practiced in the New Testament and early church? was it? Do we have any record of it? And the the answer is yes, we do. Now in the in the New Testament, we don't have any real um, incident outside of what I just mentioned in Acts 20 and I'll just read those few verses to you and when he Paul had thus spoken he kneeled down and prayed with them all and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more and they accompanied him under the ship it's really the only anecdotal reference we have to brothers kissing brothers okay that's you know paul here obviously it was a very unique experience where they knew that they would not see paul again and it 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 feels like that it was a time of real uh a real sadness and um and, and the it was something that called for a kiss okay i just did let's just put it that way and so that's what they did was that a holy kiss well, I believe the men were holy, and they kissed each other, all right so I believe it was perhaps a holy kiss. all right um, Be that as it may. I want to um, to just call your call reference to what we would call the early church fathers and some of their references to it. And the earliest church fathers we generally refer to as people that would have lived just right after the time of the apostles. And, and, and most of you are familiar with these people, names like Justin Martyr and, and Cyprian and Origen and, and so on. These, these men that wrote about the, the church and their practices uh, during that era between the time of the apostles and more recent, um, more recent church times. In the Apostolic Constitution, which is basically a collection of writings by the early Christians, Justin Martyr states this, and this is just a, a statement, a, somewhat of a, um, a to the, the letter that he's writing to his, to his constituents. He says, Then let the men apart and the women apart salute each other with a kiss in the Lord. And the writings would indicate that it was a regular part of a worship service. Origen makes connection to it... Um, and Cyprian talks about that in baptism services, the entire church greeted the newly baptized with a holy kiss. There's an early church historian by the name of Philip Schaff. Some of you may have his books. In volume 2, page 237, he writes this. The kiss of peace was given men to men and women to women in token of mutual recognition as members of one redeemed family in the midst of a heartless and loveless world. It was based on apostolic precedent and is characteristic of the childlike simplicity and love and joy of the Christians. It is interesting that gradually the use of the kiss disappeared from common use between the believers in the Lord from about the 4th century on, and it became restricted to liturgical and ritual ceremonies. Now, I don't know this for sure, but it is of some interest to me that if you think about the time era that we are told it, it somewhat disappeared from common use, is about the time the Catholic Church was really on the rise and dominating things, and it's interesting to me that the kissing seemed to be transferred from brother to brother, sister to sister in what we would know of as a holy kiss. To kissing stuff like shrines and uh, crosses and the Virgin Mary, dead stuff. Okay, so I don't know whether that was was a natural progression and um, uh, how things that was their version of the holy kiss. I'm not here to say that, but I I thought it was an interesting an interesting shift. Also, not surprisingly, during the medieval and Reformation revival periods. Groups like the Waldensians, the Albigensis, and the Anabaptists, as they had their rise in, in prominence and had their day, one of the things that always was introduced and revived during those eras was the practice, some version of the practice, of this thing called the Holy Kiss. And I find that interesting. I would like to look at the context of these particular verses that, that this injunction is given. So turn with me to the first one. It's in, in Romans 16. It's always at the end of a letter. We're going to just look at these real briefly and see what kind of context surround these particular um, small sentence verses. In Romans 16, verse 16, so what we have here in the first 15 verses is Paul going over a whole list of people that apparently he knew personally. And he goes, greet these people, and greet this person, and greet that person, and salute that person. And and you just, I'm not going to read it, because first of all, I can't pronounce the names, and it gets very redundant. But then he gets down to verse 16, and then he goes, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. All right, so suddenly the, the audience broadens. He just goes, he makes it very, very broad. Greet one another, or salute one another with a holy kiss. I mean, that's just very wide-ranging. And then he adds, the churches of Christ salute you. And I think that somewhat is telling who these one another could be. It's anybody that's a part of the Church of Christ. All right? Then he goes on in verse 17, and he goes, Now I beseech you, brothers, to mark those people that cause divisions. All right. And then he goes on from there. Now, it seems like there's a shift here in what he's talking about. So he's saluting all these people. He's telling us to salute one another. And then he says, I want you to mark the people that don't follow us in practice. And uh, he says, they uh, they cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. And he says, then avoid those people. It's kind of interesting how um, how that shift takes place. And while it's not said, it is somewhat subtly implied that perhaps the holy kiss is not something that's extended to the folks he talks about in verse 17. Again, that's not said, but that is somewhat implied by the by the context. The next book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, go to the last chapter again, chapter 16. And we have this in verse, um, let's see, verse 20. All the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you go back to verse 14, um, he has a little one-sentence verse here, too. Let all your things be done with charity. And then he has this little commentary on the house of Stephanus and how these people were just addicted to the ministry of the saints and so on. And apparently they were given to charity. Uh, I think, I think the fact that it comes right after verse 14 is not, a, is not just, uh, accidental or just, just happened to be that way. I, I believe once again that this, this kiss, when you look at the context, it has to be based on love. It has to be, that has to be the impetus. That has to be the reason that is practiced. And, uh, again, notice the broad audience that he's talking to in verse 20. All the brother, All of them. 2 Corinthians 13 Last chapter again and this is in verse 12 Greet one another with a holy kiss all the saints salute you This is just really redundant it's it's the same thing every every verse or every every book isn't it If you back up to verse 11 here it says therefore I write these things being absent lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification and not to destruction I'm sorry did I read that wrong I, I think I read the wrong verse here um, oh yeah there I read the wrong one verse 11 finally brethren farewell be perfect be of good comfort be in one well mind live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you Again, when you look at this in the context, um, Paul is, is calling these people to, to strive for perfection, to, to be of, uh, of comfort one to another, to be of the same mind, live in peace. And then right on top of that he goes, greet everyone with a holy kiss. You know that, That's going to be kind of a natural extension of this, of this ideal that I'm holding forth to you in verse 11. Verse 13, notice this again. All the saints salute you. Again, this wide, broad audience. Who's all the saints? Well, it's, it's all the saints. It's whoever they may be, wherever they may be. All right, First Thessalonians 5. Let's turn back a few more books here. First Thessalonians 5. And verse 26. Again, it says the same thing. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. The verse before it says, Brethren, pray for us. The verse after it says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. It almost seems like he says that he can even go beyond the church here at Thessalonica. It's all the holy brethren. All right? So all the holy brethren that are faithful, as it talks about in verse 24, and are praying Um it's going to be a natural extension, perhaps, that they will be compelled to to uh to use this holy kiss, as he calls it, on one another. I do I do want to back up to um, verse fourteen in this chapter. Who's all the brethren? I think maybe verse fourteen in chapter five explains this to us. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak. Be patient toward all men. I think that's a description of the brothers. Um, I think in every group of brothers, you probably have a few that are tad on the unruly side, a few that are maybe a a touch feeble-minded, a few that are maybe struggling with weakness, and a few that we got to practice a bit of patience. But that's the brothers. That's who the brotherhood is made up of, people that are a little bit on the imperfect side of life. And yet Paul says, extend the holy kiss to these people. All right, the last one, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and the very last verse of his book, of his uh, letter to his um, people he's writing to, greet ye one another, and here's where he changes the flavor just a little bit. Instead of a holy kiss, he says, with a kiss of charity. Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter is... um, Uh, is pretty big on this idea of charity in his book. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned or unpretentious love of the brothers. And I think what he's saying here is, this is a way you can show your unfeigned love for your brothers. And then he says in verse 22, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. A pure heart and fervently. I also find it interesting that while in the other, in Paul's letters, he's writing to a specific church, Peter here in verse one, chapter one, verse one, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers that are scattered. I'm writing to a scattered group of people here and there and everywhere. That's my audience, not necessarily a specific targeted group of people, but um, but a scattered group of people. All right, if I see a common theme through um, all of these verses that we have read, every every one of these letters where this is mentioned. It seems like the injunction is to a very broad audience, a very large audience, and not as specific as um, maybe some of the other injunctions in the letter are. Okay, for the remainder of my time here, I would like to look at some common questions and discussions that surround this topic, just to stir up our pure minds and and, uh, get us thinking about this particular topic. So the question that often comes up is was not this merely cultural and that the concern of the apostle is that we take our cultures and we put a holy spin on our cultural practices. Is, would that not be a, um, a legitimate way of looking at this? Well, it is true that as I pointed out this this practice of, of meeting someone and giving them a kiss was indeed cultural. Um, that, that cannot be disputed. We'd be foolish to, to try to dispute that. But the fact that this particular little injunction is delivered to such a variety of people, such a diversity of people, and by two different writers, both Paul and Peter, and the fact that if it was indeed just cultural, why would you have to tell somebody to practice your cultural thing? You're already doing it, it's cultural. Why the injunction to do that if, if it's not, a, if it's just a cultural thing? So that would, that would lead me at least to believe that perhaps it was something beyond, uh, cultural. He, they were, they were, they were wanting their brothers to, to take this and practice it beyond cultural practice. Notice also that, uh, in most of these, um, writings, there is a re- reference to the brothers, to the brethren, or one another which would also indicate that there's a specific audience here that he's targeting. He's not necessarily talking about the man on the street, but the brothers inside the church. I believe that uh, through these, somewhat thinking through this, it, it probably set the holy kiss a little bit apart from something that was a common street kiss, if you will. I think the holy kiss was free from anything or any motive that was unholy or, or uncommon or inappropriate. It was something more apparently than they were culturally acquainted with, I would I would suggest. I wonder, as you think of the New Testament church and the, the challenge they faced as they tried to integrate the Jew, the Christian Jew, with the Christian Gentile, and they kind of put those two people together, those two groups of people together in a church and said, now have church together here, you know, figure it out. Well, it's a little bit more than that. They had instruction and they had a a changed heart and a new spirit and so on. But to say that that was not a challenge is foolish. Read through first and second Corinthians and some other letters. They really struggled to get that thing right. Some days it was just hard for a Jew and a Gentile to, to come together and, and, Practice their, this new, uh, religion well together sometimes. And that's why they had the dispute they had there that called for the Jerusalem conference. Is circumcision necessary or is it not? And they had to figure this out because that's, that was the wide range of people we are working with here. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about something he calls the middle wall of partition that's between us. And he says, God's will is that we could reconcile ourselves into one body and that there would not be this middle wall of partition. Now, I wonder if God in his wisdom um, was not trying to use this cultural practice as something that could help to break down that middle wall partition. You know, you're a Jew, I'm a Gentile, but you know, after all, we are brothers And I love you and I appreciate you and I'm going to show it through this token of friendship. Now that's, that's somewhat my conjecture. If you, if you differ with me, I would, I would be glad to, uh, to, uh, conversate about that more. But I wonder if a consistent practice of this in those churches and perhaps even ours today, I shouldn't say perhaps, but perhaps it could bond us and perhaps, uh, help relieve tensions between people if they do exist. Okay, so now another question I would like to, um, to just um, uh, look at just a little bit. Was this in that time and is this today the only acceptable greeting for two Christians? All right. Well, if you turn to Galatians 2, and maybe we could just do that quickly. We're right there, not too far away from that book. In Galatians 2, we have a very... Interesting little, now this is not talking about greetings, but we have a little anecdote here that maybe helps us to um, find our way on this thing. And I'm just going to break in and I'm going to read verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Okay, so as far as I can tell here from this little incident, apparently they shook hands. That's the way I would read it. They shook hands. All right. Um, if they kissed one another, it was not—it's not mentioned that they did. Perhaps they did, but it's not mentioned. Okay. Um, so we have that. Okay. We just have to acknowledge that that's there. Whatever they considered the right hand of fellowship, and I'm just simple enough to believe that that was a handshake with one another and it does not it does not say they necessarily kissed one another okay however it should also be noticed that there is nowhere in scripture outside of this anecdotal incident that we find any instruction uh, that we should greet one another with a right hand of fellowship okay it's not there it, but, but we do have this this incident where it seemed to have happened okay so we'll just we'll just leave that um I believe that perhaps apparently, a handshake of some sort was also an exper- I mean, was a familiar expression of greeting uh, to these people. I think I guess my f- personal f- feeling is that again, is this ordinance, as we define it, is an outward sign of something much broader and deeper. And the fact that it's mentioned five times, must mean that God is interested in people practicing this because of the deeper meaning that it perhaps shows. The, I'm talking here of the holy kiss. Um, in many ways, a handshake is a very common uh, practice. We, we shake hands with lots of people. And uh, it's, it's understood. It's a common, acceptable form of greeting in our culture. And it does extend a sign of uh, goodwill, friendship, and feeling. And it's a, and it's proper And it's acceptable. And I believe that there are acceptable times where two Christians can simply shake hands, and that's completely appropriate, okay? I'll circle um, back around to this, and we're going to touch on this just a little bit later. But I don't believe that it is absolutely imperative that every time two Christians meet that they must use the holy kiss, And there may even times, and I say this very carefully, and I'm going to come back and hit on it later, but there may be even times it's wise not to. Okay? But I'll I'll come back to that later. The other thing we have to uh we have to acknowledge when we read the words salute and greet, we get a different idea. When I think of salute, I think of this, all right? When I think of greet, I just think of a handshake. That's what I think of. If you look at the Greek Word, salute and greet in these, all five of these uh, particular passages or verses we looked at, greet one another, salute one another. That actually means to hug. That's what it means. It means to embrace. That's, that's what it means. So literally what Paul is saying is embrace one another with a holy kiss. I- I'm sorry, that's what it means. That's what it says. We, we don't necessarily do that very often. I, I don't generally hug all of you after church. I not it's not what I do. It's not, it's, you know, but that's, is what the literal translation would be. So, so why am I saying this? I, I do believe that there are times where it's completely appropriate and not outside of, uh, uh, it's completely normal and proper and right and righteous to embrace someone. Okay, I do believe that, uh, because that's, Again, that's if we're going to take the holy kiss part. Let's take the salute part too. Okay, so I think that's proper. But as we say this, and as we as we work through this, not not let's not overlook the obvious. Okay, so let's let's not use these anecdotal incidences and these other um, you know things to overlook the obvious. What's he saying? He's saying, well, greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, I'll maybe have a little bit more to say about that a little later, but let's move on. So when and where and to whom shall I I and you extend this salutation? Well, as I mentioned maybe before, that the scripture here, Paul is, is clear here, and I think Peter even mentions it too, that it should be practiced to all the brothers. It says, greet all the brethren. Now that, unless you are really flunking out on third grade, that's pretty clear English. Greet all the brethren. Okay? Now, the reason I say that is because, as I mentioned earlier, there was a time when in the early church that's the way it was. But it changed into something that was liturgical. Okay? And what what I mean by that is it changed into something that it was not all the brethren anymore. It was just certain people, perhaps. And And I see that sometimes where we tend to go away from the all the brothers practice, to maybe just certain people, or maybe in some circles it's just maybe the ministers of the church that that's the only practice. It's not it's not common among the rest of the of the brothers. The the scripture simply says all the brothers. So now the question is when and how often. The Bible doesn't say does not give us really any direction on that. It simply says greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Period. That's it. It's all it's all the the instruction we have. From just reading if I was just picked up the Bible and just was reading through it for the first time, I would perhaps get the idea that uh, this this Paul or Peter here meant that the next time I see a brother, that's maybe what I should do. Uh perhaps that's what I should do the next time I see him. Um, it just simply does not say it's very open ended and so because of that i think we have a wide range of practice in uh, in some of our in some of our circles simply because the bible does not necessarily say does not specify these particular things just as a personal what would you say testimony, personal experience? I grew up in a church where, in a culture, church culture, I should say, where um, every church service you practiced the holy kiss on every brother that you met. That's that was that is my experience. My experience also would be that uh, if we went to Grandpa's house for for lunch on a given Sunday and we didn't happen to be at the same church that particular morning, we would greet Grandpa and Grandma with a holy kiss as we walked in. That's it's just that was my experience as I grew up. Um, if we had friends over for lunch or whatever, it was practiced quite regularly and often. That that's my particular. Um, growing up experience. Right, wrong, or otherwise, that's that's just the way it was. But then there are other of us, perhaps, and I know that in other communities and, and cultural settings where it is more of a ceremonial observation. It's something that's only practiced at perhaps communion or foot washing or on very special occasions or something like that. And, um, you know your experience and your practice is what it is, and i 'm not going to dispute that i 'm just saying that is kind of the range we have in our in our communities. My personal thought is this: however you think of what each ordinance represents, um, this one represents fervent charity i mean that 's what Peter calls it. he says he calls it a kiss of charity. When you think of it that way, and when you think of what the other ordinances represent, so take like the ordinance of foot washing. We, we practice that twice a year. Is that right or wrong? The Bible doesn't say again. When, how often we should do that? We just do it twice a year. But when you think of how foot washing represents service to my brother. Now, if I'm going to serve you in the way that foot washing represents, that means that when your house gets blown over with a tornado, I'm going to come and I'm going to help you. And it's more of the very nitty-gritty, down-and-dirty, I I am representing by washing your ugly feet, if you will, that I'm ready to help you do ugly things, okay? The opportunity to do that perhaps does not exist as often as I should just simply love you. How often should I love you? Uh, would one day a week work for you? Um, should I love you half the week? I should love you all the time, correct? So, just the fact that the Holy Kiss represents my love for you, perhaps the frequency of that should be oftener than just foot washing. Now that's just my random thoughts on it. I'm not saying that's biblical because it's not. But that's just my, my random thoughts as I, as I thought through that. Is it ever inappropriate? Alright, so now, just follow me here and, 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 and I, and if I am off here, please again let me know. Is it ever inappropriate? Well, there, there is one, one verse in the Bible where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Brother Willis, last fall, when he was here, he did a very excellent job at at helping me to at least understand what casting pearls before swine meant. Everybody remember that, or we need a review. What he said is the, the, the pig cannot tell the difference between a pearl and dirt. To him, they both are equally equal. Uh, he'll stomp them both into the mud. He don't care. He'll do whatever with them. He does not care. He does not respect anything of value. He doesn't get it. That's casting pearls before swine. And she said, don't do that. We live in an absolutely debased and ungodly and increasingly immoral society. Do we not? I mean, does anybody dispute that? We do. And I will say that it could seem abrupt and repulsive to certain people in certain places to see two men or two women kiss one another. It could. Now, I'm not saying it, it always will, but it could. I think it behooves us to be discreet about our practice of the Holy Kiss. Okay, so if I'm walking down the street in Blooming Prairie, and Ellis happens to be coming out of the cafe, and he's with a friend there, and his friend is, I don't know, he, he is what, who he is. But he, he doesn't he doesn't understand this practice at all. It might be okay for me not to exactly greet Ellis, okay, with a holy kiss, just because it might be misunderstood. However, I will also hasten to say that I think if practiced properly, and let's say I hadn't seen Ellis for 20 years, and I happen to meet Ellis on the street and he's with a friend, I probably could practice the holy kiss on him without having that person think anything untoward about me. So I see both sides of it and that's where I see, say we have to have the Spirit of the Lord in discretion and decide whether this is a pig pen or a proper place. Okay? I, I think, I think it behooves us to, to, to think through that a little bit. I also will say this. Be careful not to force this practice on someone who is obviously unfamiliar or uncomfortable. Just be sensitive. Be sensitive to that. Who should I practice this on? Well, again, to be redundant, the Bible says all the brothers. To whoever it feels appropriate and the, and the Spirit prompts you, within the context and confines of a Christian brother. And I would also say that, I, I told you that I, I grew up in a setting where this was practiced very frequently. I also grew up in a setting, in that same setting, where it, it became a kiss of judgment. So if I perhaps went to this church and you went to this church, maybe not, maybe not. I say that's that's woe to us. We shouldn't we shouldn't be that way. I have practiced the Holy Ghost on quite a wide range of people, and I have no regret ever for anybody I've ever practiced it on. Question four. Now this is one that we sometimes it, it deserves some discussion. And I'm going to just touch it briefly, but I think it's, I think it's a pretty, it's pretty far out there, but I'm going to touch it. I've heard this already. Couldn't the Holy Kiss serve as a stumbling block to a Christian who was struggling with same-sex attraction? I'm just going to make a few points on that and then we'll drop it. Just remember this. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote it? It was inspired by men that were inspired of the Holy Spirit. God knew what he put in the Bible. He knew that. Would God ask his people to practice something that would cause grievous temptation and problems to people? I think the holy kiss, if it is practiced in a proper way, is hardly enough to arouse unholy feelings if the other participant is not struggling with the same problem. That's that's for what it's worth. Again, I trust our wise God not to have commanded his children to engage in something that would become such a stumbling block to so many people. I'm just simple enough to believe that. And while I do not wish to to brush this off lightly, I have to admit... Um, honest confession here. Thank God. I mean, it, it's all all glory to Him. But I have never struggled with same-sex attraction, so I don't even really know what I'm talking about here. Okay. But I wonder if we don't glibly, um, if this argument is perhaps not a an excuse or looking for an excuse not to do something that God simply put in there fairly plainly for us. Now, that's that's just my few thoughts on that. And I would certainly welcome more more of your thoughts on that if you have any. Let's summarize some loose ends here and wrap this thing up. So we've determined that the early church practiced this. I didn't talk about this much. Our Anabaptist heritage also practiced it to one degree or the other in, throughout our history. I could read to you documents about it. The 1568 Strasbourg discipline mentions it how that um, this practice should be be used. The Martyr's Mirror has a fair sprinkling of mention of Christians practicing this with one another. The various branches of our Anabaptist churches has practiced this in one way or the other throughout our existence in North America. And the ambitious Mennonite Church of about 120 years ago put this to uniformity and drew up their seven ordinances, as I have talked about several times, and this practice of the Holy Kiss came to the fore because of that, and was highly esteemed and a renewed interest in practicing it, was part of that era. But as the church went the way it did in the mid, mid part of the last century, guess what? The, uh, the practice of that particular ordinance waned as well, okay? Now, I find it particularly interesting, and and this this happened over and over through the history of the Christian church. When there was a revival in the church, there was a renewed interest and appreciation for the Holy Kiss. When there was apostasy, it was directly the opposite. It just can't be denied. That's just the way it was. Why does it seem... That a practice like this is easily lost. And, and I will say this, it seems like in many of our churches it's being practiced less and not more, okay? It's just a, just a casual observation. I, I'm gonna bump down through a, a couple of thoughts that came to me and, and these are just Dwight Burkholder's thoughts, this is nothing inspired here. So I just, I just wanna run them past you and, and I certainly would welcome your, your feedback. I have a, a friend that pastors a church. He's probably 10 years younger than me, and he, he shared with me that in his church, he remembers that as a, a very young boy, um, the, the Holy Kiss was practiced very frequently in their church, and that now as a 38, 40-year-old man, I'm not exactly sure how old he is, something something in that in that region, it is not practiced at all. He said he saw it go from that extreme to that extreme. And and it, it's, he's grappling with this, and and we've discussed it some. You know what what is proper, what is improper, um, but it seems like that's the two extremes right there. And it seems like there's a a shift in one direction. It seems like it. Here's my thoughts. Perhaps indeed there is a lack of fervent charity among us. C- could that be an indicator? Perhaps. You know we we are somewhat independent people. And perhaps our lack of a sense of love and dependency on one another and our lack, or I shouldn't say I, maybe I should say my, my lack of genuineness in the area of fervent charity tends to lend itself to a lack of the, of the practice of this particular ordinance. I believe another thing is, um, is perhaps just our backgrounds. <clears throat> I find it extremely interesting, and I have no idea why this is, but the Old Order Mennonites slash Amish do not practice this ordinance very much at all, if at all. And I just find that extremely interesting. And I have no idea why that is, but it that's the, what I understand. I remember reading an edit, editorial in one of the Pathway papers here two, three years ago, where the editor of this Amish paper what was calling that out, and he's saying, why is that in our churches we do not practice this when we so rigorously practice other things? Why don't we practice that? He didn't have an answer for it either. Going on, any, what, what other reasons might it be? Well, it could be just simply indifference on our part. Perhaps we just don't take the word of God very seriously. Perhaps it's the influence of the Christian culture around us. Most Christian cult, most Christians in our culture, and I do not say this judgmentally in any way. I'm simply pointing out that most Christians would interpret this as a cultural practice of the of the early times of the church. That's just simply their their uh, their application, and I do not stand a judgment of that. I'm simply telling you that's the way it is. I read a very interesting blog by an evangelical pastor that. Um, that I somewhat respect. I, I think he has a lot of good, thought-provoking things to, to offer. And, and here is here was his take on it. Somebody wrote him a question and said, hey, what do you think about this thing called the holy kiss that's mentioned here, here, and here? And he said, well, here's what I think. He said, I think what, what they were doing is they were, they were taking a cultural practice and making it holy. He said, I think we should take our cultural practices, make them holy as well. He said, I think we should have holy fist bumps. That's what he said. Another reason, perhaps we are culturally a people that are a bit more space oriented and perhaps just simply the practice makes us uncomfortable. Other cultures are more comfortable with this perhaps. Perhaps we don't grasp the value and blessing of simply doing what God has asked us to do. Jesus, whenever he washed his disciples' feet, he just simply said, happy are you if you do these things. Just happy are you. Um, In Ephesians 5.10, Paul says that we should approve those things which are acceptable to the Lord. It feels like this is something that is acceptable to the Lord, and I think we should approve of it. Perhaps it's the utter repulsiveness of our current culture influence that leads us to think that perhaps this is inappropriate. Whatever the reason is, In all honesty, it is a practice that our churches seem to be struggling to maintain. And rather than judging others, perhaps I should consider where I fit into this gradient and where I find myself in attitude and practice and expression of fervent charity. And then consider, how may God feel about my conclusions and my attitude toward it? You know, this particular ordinance... That we call the holy kiss, and the and another one that I plan to speak of in the future, the Christian woman's veil. I think are two ordinances that we tend to make a real big deal out of the literal practice of it, and struggle, sometimes at least, to live up to the practice of its meaning. Okay, that's what I think. This tends to push people into two directly opposite camps. Either one, you are fine with the hypocritical status and you're okay with cold love and a mechanical kiss. You, You find yourself okay with that. You'll just go with that because I am doing what Paul told us to do. I don't really love you, but I'll kiss you anyway. Or we can react against the ordinance and proclaim that it's really, truly the deeper meaning that matters. And it is. It is the deeper meaning that matters. But because we see the hypocrisy, we tend to just... We tend to just run in two different directions. Can I suggest to you a better way? Could not greater blessing be found with both? Couldn't it? I I just wonder if it couldn't. Couldn't we have the symbol, and couldn't we have the heartfelt love to go with it as well? May God help us to that end.